This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. He would buy her things that were incredibly ridiculous. I mean, he bought her a yellow 2007 H2 Hummer in cash, an $80,000 vehicle, and pulled it up one day with a bow on top and said, this is for you. When they got together, he was running an air filter business. It was confusing how cutting air filters and selling air filters was so profitable. She ended up going there after work to go look for him, look through the window of the office and saw his body uh, in a pool of blood. He was beaten severely and then shot multiple times. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. It is July 5th. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the day that it came out, I hope you're real hungover. Yeah, or you might be at work, and I then I hope you're not hungover in that case. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that the national, like they gave everybody off Monday. You need to give the day after 4th of July off, I yeah. think. Because yeah, that's the I day agree. everybody needs. Yeah, It hurts. It hurts real bad. <laughs> sure does. Um, before we get into the day and, of course, the story, I wanted to remind everybody, if you have a first-degree story you'd like to tell or you know somebody else that's been connected to a crime that has a fascinating story, please email us, hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Obviously, if you've been listening, you know we are a user-generated podcast. We can't just pick any story that we want to tell. So it all has to start with you. That's right. And we want to tell important, compelling stories that keeps bringing you back. So help us do that. Help us keep this going. Year four now. It's insane. I know. And we've had so many incredible stories brought to us. Like it really blows my mind how many there are. And they do continue to come, but we want more. Absolutely. And then also remember to join our Patreon if you want extra bonus content. There is one bonus episode every single week, plus video, plus exclusives, and so much stuff over there. That's right. Full length episodes about crime cases that listeners also submit to us. So yeah. it's an awesome place if you're looking for, I don't know, we've got 50, 60, 70 episodes in there. Who knows? But if you need to binge and you're craving something, that's where to do it. 
Absolutely. All right. So do you want to know the day today? Yes, please. Like I said, it's July 5th, the day after 4th of July. It is Bikini Day, which I felt was very interesting. National Apple Turnover today. This is something that is not good for you. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do the cooked fruit thing, but I see like what they're doing. It's like the day after 4th of July, it's like you're as American as apple pie. They were trying to like ride the America coattails with that one. Right. I'm not falling for it. No, I mean, I like an apple turnover, but I know that triggers you. So sick. It's It's also National Graham Cracker Day and National Workaholics Day, which I get why they did that on the 5th. So if you're out there working... Godspeed to you. You can get through today. You sure can. All right. Well, that is enough of that. So let's turn on the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Newton's third law of motion states that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Newton was talking about physics, force, inertia, and energy. But the same sentiment can be applied to other actions, people's actions, because how we treat other people affects them. When you really get down to the essence of who people are, all we have are our words and our actions, and they affect others in big ways. Sending a friend a reassuring text in times of adversity could lift their spirits, Helping a work colleague move out of their apartment could spark a friendship. And that cause and effect is also true when our actions aren't so kind, when they're reactions, when we strike out at others in a hurtful, negative way. And if we do that repeatedly, without apology, without reflection or improvement, well, it could cause psychological trauma. And trauma can have a ripple effect that lasts for generations. In fact, we've probably all felt the impact of our parents' trauma. And our own children might have felt the impact of ours. So how do we stop the cycle? How do we master our own trauma so that we make others' lives better? How do we stop making other people's lives worse, especially when it's our first gut instinct? So today's case begins on March 1st of 2007. So this day proves to be the deadliest day of the year for tornadoes, as 20 people are killed within the span of 24 hours, including eight Alabama high school students. It's terrifying. Awful. And in lighter news, Switzerland accidentally invades Liechtenstein when 171 soldiers take a wrong turn, get lost, and mistakenly cross the border. Like the most Switzerland thing to do in the world. (laughs) It's like a meme. Totally. And during this month, the action film 300 starring Gerard Butler dominated the box office after ranking in an impressive 70 million during its opening weekend. And in music, Justin Timberlake's What Goes Around holds the number one spot while Ludacris's Runaway Love sits at number two. And the setting for today's case is Little Rock, Arkansas. This capital of Arkansas is situated along the Arkansas River and is home to a little over 200,000 people. And before Europeans colonized the area, the Quapaw indigenous peoples lived there, but they were forced out in the early 1820s. By 1835, Little Rock was officially considered a city by European standards. And following the 1954 Brown v. Board of Education Supreme Court decision that deemed school segregation unconstitutional, the Little Rock Nine students, who were Black, made history as they were escorted by military personnel into a formerly all-white school. Today, Little Rock is a bustling city known for its natural beauty, robust history, and large number of museums. In fact, Little Rock houses the only brick-and-mortar handbag museum in the nation. Very interested in that. 
Mm, me too. So our first degree for today's case is named Ryan, and Ryan has lived in Little Rock for most of his life. He spent his toddler years there, moved away for a bit, and then when he was eight years old, he settled down in Little Rock for good with his little brother and his mom, Brenda, who was a doctor. They eventually moved in with Brenda's boyfriend, Doug, around the year 2000. And at first, this kind of took Ryan by surprise because he didn't even know his mom had a boyfriend. And now Ryan was just moving in with a guy. So obviously, this must have felt very jarring for him. My mom married my dad and then had me. They divorced when I was four. We moved to another city for a couple of years. And when I was eight, we moved back and we moved in with Doug. I didn't know Doug at that time. Did not know that my mom knew him. But they'd already had a story relationship. I mean, we moved into his apartment. My brother and I shared his guest room in the same little full-size bed in this tiny apartment. But even though Ryan felt like the transition to living with Doug was quick, Doug and Ryan's mom, Brenda, had actually been together for a while. Plus, Ryan was a kid. If his mom said they were moving in with Doug, well, they were moving in with Doug. He had no choice but to go with the flow and see how things panned out. And plus, despite Doug's small apartment, he seemed to be well off financially. And if nothing else, he was really generous with his money. Pretty soon, Doug also moved Ryan's family into a bigger home. So I don't know, maybe everything would work out after all. Now, this house was out in a little suburb. It had a man-made pond. It was on five acres. He wouldn't bother because mom said she liked it. $500,000 house and um, put a pool in, converted the outdoor garage into a game room movie theater. I mean, literally, there was a room that was a movie theater. And the game room had pinball, Mrs. Pac-Man, skee-ball, air hockey. And then the front room had a pool table, big screen TV, and literally a bar full of snacks. And he said, I bought this for you. And then he had a room he said was for me. He expanded it, built a deck around it, put a back door that went out to the pool, and said, this is Ryan's room. And had my little brother's room all done up. My room was so big, I had a living room. And I had a sofa, love seat, recliner. And if you're wondering where Doug got all of this extra money for houses with movie theaters and game rooms, well... Doug owned his own air filter business, and we're talking about the type of air filters you slide into the bottom of your furnace or AC system once every few months or so. Doug's business was called Razorbacks Air Filters, after the University of Arkansas's Razorbacks football program's mascot. And it always seemed like Doug was flush with cash. What a delightful situation, frankly. So Ryan and everyone else just assumed that the Arkansas air filter business was booming. That's the confusing part. So when they got together, he was running an air filter business, which I think the business is still in business. And he was working out of a barn that he was renting from a nice little lady where he would cut air filters for body shops. So when they paint, they have to have air filters replaced pretty regularly. And so he would do that. He would measure and cut. As his business progressed, he ended up buying a warehouse. But still, it, it was confusing how cutting air filters and filling air filters was something that we never really pondered over. But Ryan quickly learned that Doug's money did not necessarily make him a good guy. In fact, Doug was pretty terrible a lot of the time. 
Doug treated both Ryan and his little brother pretty poorly for eight long years. Doug was not very nice. He was, he never drank. He never did drugs as far as I know. He was just mean, vindictive. He was a very good high school baseball player, tried out for minor league baseball and almost made it and didn't do that. And so he's really hard on me. He doesn't understand that, you know, I like to play video games and watch TV, and I like to piddle in my garden. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's my own person. And he just didn't seem to understand that ever. He was loud and aggressive. I didn't have a great relationship with him at all, to be honest. It was a strained relationship at best. It seemed like the only way Doug knew how to show his affection was through money. So whenever Doug knew he messed up, he tried to smooth things over with presents and gifts. He's the guy who stands outside at Best Buy and then bribes a guy coming out going, do you have the new PlayStation? I will give you double what it's worth. He really did do that. He actually stood outside Best Buy and bribed someone for the new Xbox for me and my brother. And he'd give Ryan's mom, Brenda, these over-the-top gifts as well. He would buy her things that were incredibly ridiculous. And he bought her a yellow 2007 H2 Hummer in cash, an $80,000 vehicle. And pulled it up one day with a bow on top and said, this is for you. But all the money in the world couldn't excuse Doug's poor behavior. And that's because Doug was regularly abusive towards Ryan and his little brother. Doug would fight. He would fight with me and my brother. He would be abusive, physically, verbally, whatever he needed to do. And mom would kick him out. So he would go stay in a hotel or stay wherever. And then he'd be back with presents or whatever else, and they would go in the same rotation. He would shower us the gifts, you know, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, piles of video games and new video game consoles, and they would all be forgiven. Look, we get it. Being given expensive stuff from your mom's boyfriend sounds great, but Doug's money couldn't possibly fix or make up for the trauma he'd inflicted on Ryan and his brother over the years. He was making Ryan and his little brother feel unsafe in their own home. Experience abuse like that consistently over time can be life and personality altering, as well as psychologically damaging. The day-to-day living, sleeping in the same house, if you get up and want to go talk to your mom because you're scared, yeah, you don't want to be hit in the face. (laughs) You know, those are the things that your mom does next morning. Well, don't say anything. Just say you get hit by a baseball. Okay, Mom. I got you. And to make matters even worse, Doug wouldn't let Ryan interact with his biological father. He did not allow my biological dad to come around. He would tell me, your dad's not here. I'm your only dad. And it would be very strange. i go, well, no, my dad's alive. I just don't talk to him. So Ryan did what kids with abusive parental figures do. He survived as best he could. And one day, when Ryan was 15 years old, he was playing video games after school. And unexpectedly, his mom called him with some really bad news. I was in my bedroom playing PlayStation, talking to my friend Luke. And I get the buzz on the phone 
the mom's calling. I said, hey, give me one second. And change over, and she said, Doug's dead. And I felt nothing. To be honest with you, he was really mean. <laughs> and I thought, oh, good. But I didn't say that to her, of course, because she was in the throes of depression. It did not make any sense to me at all. In fact, she didn't tell me that it was a murder until probably a couple of days later. I was pretty numb to the scenario until the funeral. At first, I felt nothing. I was like, don't even know what to say about that. The man tormented me for so many years. But at the same time, I actually do think Doug really did love me and my brother. I wish it hadn't happened. I mean, I really do. I wish it hadn't have happened. On the heels of Doug's death, Ryan and his family would be forced to navigate a cascade of painful events that followed, events that would change their lives forever. How did they support each other through those challenging times? And honestly, when would they finally catch a break? And then, of course, there were glaring questions about Doug's murder. What happened to Doug? Who would want to hurt him and why? To answer all these questions, you all know the drill. We got to go back. Richard Douglas White was born on July 2nd of 1960 in Memphis, Tennessee. And even though his first name was officially Richard, he went by Doug. And that's because he came from a long line of Richards. His grandfather and his father were both named Richard as well. And it's likely his great-grandfather's name was also Richard, since his grandfather went by a nickname as well. Doug had one sister, and they primarily grew up in West Memphis, Arkansas, which, if you didn't know, is only 10 miles from Memphis, Tennessee. You know, actually, Doug, his dad, they're from West Memphis, Memphis, his dad was friends with Johnny Cash. And Doug, as a little kid, used to ride around Johnny Cash and his dad. Doug graduated from West Memphis High School in the late 70s, and sometime after that, Doug enlisted in the United States Air Force. Doug's dad had also joined the military when he was young, so Doug was essentially following in his father's footsteps. Interestingly, at some point in the 80s or 90s, Doug became friends with Ryan's parents while they were still together. So apparently Ryan's parents played on an adult league softball team that Doug was the coach of, and they all became very close. But Ryan didn't know about all the ways Doug had interacted with his parents until much later. In fact, Ryan would only find all of this out after Doug died. Doug and Ryan's biological father were extremely close. They were like besties. Doug coached softball. And while my mom was going through college and then medical school, she played co-ed softball. It's where she met my dad. And Doug was their coach. He was actually married once. My biological father was actually his best man at his first wedding. In fact, I have the picture from his wedding with my dad standing next to him. But this is before I was even born. I reconnected my dad after Doug's death. And my dad said, well, I didn't see you because Doug told me I couldn't be around. And your mom told me that if I came around, they were going to bust me for my DWI charges, which he had many. But Doug never told me he knew dad. Mom never told me that she and Doug and dad played softball together. I had no idea until long after his death. But here's a strange tidbit. We're not sure Doug was really forthcoming about his previous marriages. According to the marriage certificates in Ancestry's database, Doug was married four times before he became romantic with Ryan's mom, Brenda. I mean, 
maybe the guy is just a hopeless romantic. Right. Our research indicates that Doug's first marriage was in 1983. 25-year-old Doug wed 22-year-old Cynthia K. Meadows, but then they divorced. But they remarried in 1989. Again, maybe they're hopeless romantics. Second time's a charm. Who knows? Next, in 1992, 32-year-old Doug married 29-year-old Janet Satterfield. And following that, 38-year-old Doug married 28-year-old Donna Beveridge in 1998. Great last name, by the way. And for context, Doug and Ryan's mom, Brenda, began dating about a year later. So it's likely that when Ryan talks about his biological dad being in Doug's wedding, we're probably talking about Doug and Donna's 1998 nuptials. Or maybe when Doug married Janet in 1992. It's kind of unclear. Regardless, Doug and Brenda got together after Ryan's parents divorced. And while Doug turned out to be an abusive asshole, Brenda, on the other hand, was a total catch. Absolutely. Dr. Brenda K. Covington was born on June 26th of 1963 in Little Rock, Arkansas, to her father Doyle and her mother Peggy. And she had one sister and one brother. And just like Ryan, Brenda spent her entire life in Little Rock. She graduated from the local high school. And in her adult years, she really created a name for herself. Many people in Little Rock knew and loved Brenda. And after Brenda finished medical school at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, she became a physician at the Baptist Health Medical Center. She was also the medical director for not one, but two free clinics. And Brenda was lauded as a great doctor. And both her staff and her patients absolutely adored her. So outside of her outstanding medical practice, Brenda was also a devout Christian. She read her Bible all the time and volunteered at church every Sunday. And when she could find time between literally saving lives, Brenda loved to paint. According to those who knew and loved Brenda, she gave everything she had to anyone who asked. Brenda had three kids, including Ryan, his little brother, and their older sister. But she was out of the house by the time Doug came around. And Ryan just remembers Brenda as being a wonderful mom. She was a wonderful lady, smart, one of those people who never thought she was pretty or intelligent and kind of worked her way through college and then med school to say, look, I did it and I can do it. She really was kind of my person the whole time, was a very strong, influential person, made sure that I was the best person I could be. So when Doug found out that Brenda was single back in the day, I'm sure he jumped at the opportunity to get close to her. I mean, who wouldn't? She was truly thriving at the moment. And when Doug began abusing Ryan and his brother, Brenda probably struggled a lot. The man that she loved was hurting her sons, who she also loved. And it was an impossible situation to navigate because the cycle of abuse can feel absolutely impossible to break. Right. And if you're not familiar with the you know standard defined cycle of abuse, we're going to break it down for you in its most basic form. Because if you've been so lucky as to never have dealt with abuse, emotional or physical, you might be tempted to judge Brenda. And you shouldn't. Abusive people are manipulative people, and they take advantage of the fact that you want them to get better, and they prey on that. And depending on the research that you read out there, there are generally three stages of the cycle of abuse. And according to the Domestic Violence Coordinating Council, they are, number one, the tension-building stage. And this is where the abuser creates a sense of increased stress and hostility. The abuser is argumentative and escalates conflicts really quickly. Right. Then number two, there's the violent episode where the abuser actively hurts someone through words or actions. And lastly, number three, it's the honeymoon stage where the abuser tries to reconcile the situation through apologies, gifts, and promises to do better. 
and Doug was a textbook abuser. Every time Doug hurt Ryan and his brother, he would apologize, buy them stuff, and things would get a little better until things weren't better anymore, and then the cycle would continue again. Right. So Brenda was stuck in this cycle with Doug, and she did the best that she could given the situation. And even though Brenda was an inspiration, she had a hard time seeing that. And Ryan wonders if her self-confidence issues contributed to her staying with Doug. You know, my mom was always really self-conscious. She always felt like she was lesser than everybody else. And I think that she liked the attention, and I think that she liked that he had money. Brenda might have felt seen and appreciated by Doug when he gave her all of these fancy, pricey things. I mean, I would obviously like a free car as well. So understandably, it was difficult for Brenda to see Doug's warning signs, you know, the abuse for one. And also, Doug had some sketchy financial dealings happening behind the scenes. Our air conditioner went out at the house that he had bought. And mom asked for someone to come out and, you know, repair it or replace it. And they said, oh, man, I'm sorry. We can't replace this. It's stolen. She said, what do you mean it's stolen? Yeah, this fell off a truck somewhere. And that was things that really mom was so naive she didn't see it. And the only people who could see it were probably me and my brother. By the time the spring of 2007 rolled around, 46-year-old Doug and 44-year-old Brenda were engaged to be married. Their wedding date was actually set for March 31st of 2007. But things were getting worse with Doug. He was getting worse. And now he felt like Brenda was somehow obligated to him and owed him because of all these expensive gifts and the lifestyle he provided for Brenda and the boys. This had come to a point of contention. I mean, the man had pushed me against the wall and spit in my face and sent me to school with a black eye more than once. It had gotten really bad. So bad that my mother was tired of it. We were living in the old house next to the grandparents. He came home and was threatening. Well, I paid for this Hummer. I paid for your phone bill. I bought that couch. I bought this and that. So the next day, mom went and bought her own H2 yellow Hummer, got a brand new phone with a brand new phone number, and put everything out that he ever bought in the yard. So he comes back and says, well, I bought you the house. And so she fell back in. This back and forth with Doug went on for a while, but eventually Brenda was really pushed to her limits. Doug had fucked up for the last time and Brenda was done. So in late February of 2007, one month before their wedding was planned, Brenda kicked Doug out of the house once and for all. Then they got in a huge fight again. They were cats and dogs. So she says, you can't sleep here. After being kicked out of the house, Doug had to sleep somewhere. So he went to his office. So he goes back to his business and he had an office attached to the warehouse where the air filters were. And in the office, he had a pull-out couch. So he was going to sleep there. And although Brenda had kicked him out, they were still communicating to some degree via text. And when Doug stopped responding for a prolonged period of time, Brenda became worried. She knew that if Doug could respond to her, he would. So on the evening of Friday, March 2nd, Brenda actually went to Doug's office to see what he was doing and why he wasn't responding. And that's when she made the horrific discovery. It's when she found Doug's lifeless body. She ended up going there after work to go look for him. 
looked through the window of the office and saw his body uh, in a pool of blood. He was beaten severely and then shot multiple times. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
After discovering her fiancé was murdered in his own office, Brenda was obviously devastated. She felt like she was the one who had put Doug in danger since she kicked him out of the house. And of course, we all know, listening to this, that it was not her fault at all. Plus, seeing Doug that way and finding him that way was extremely distressing and traumatic. Doug was violent, and he couldn't be allowed to stay in the house with Brenda's sons. But Brenda still felt responsible. And as the shockwaves of Doug's murder continued to be felt, the police began investigating and looking for the person responsible, and determined that he had been attacked at some point after returning to his office, likely by someone lying in wait. He went down the road for a pack of cigarettes and a Diet Coke, came back and he was being robbed, is the story. Doug's office had been broken into and ransacked, as though somebody might have been looking for something. And the beating that Doug suffered was brutal, which from an investigation perspective could mean one of two things. Because it was overkill, it could have been a crime of passion or an inexperienced killer who didn't realize how difficult murdering somebody actually was. And this chaos ensued when Doug returned unexpectedly. Through conducting a series of interviews, the police were able to find two eyewitnesses who had said they'd seen two men enter Doug's air filter business right before closing on March 1st of 2007, which would have been the night he was killed. Additionally, Razorback Air Filter employees told detectives that two men had arrived at the business on the day before Doug's body was found, complaining that Doug owed them money. So, of course, the police want to know, who are these men? Were they the ones who brutally murdered him? And what could be the motive in this case? The bigger question... How would the police ultimately identify them? And I understand the confusion. It's like, this man is working in air filters. Like, no pun intended. It's a very clean business. Like, yeah. what did he owe people money for? Like, a lot of questions going on. Absolutely. And meanwhile, Brenda was sinking into her own deep depression on the heels of losing Doug. And her whole demeanor ended up changing. She began drinking heavily when she had never drank before. She blamed herself. She was catastrophic. Do you know those people who can wake up, brush their teeth and shower, and go to work, and then come right back home and go straight to bed? That was my mother for months and months. I mean, she started drinking, which she never did, buying boxes of Tino's Sunset Blush Franzia. It's a terrible wine. It's like a slap-the-bag type of wine. And she was drinking gulps. And I remember getting up my brother in the mornings, giving him his Adderall and making him strawberry milk and making him breakfast and getting him dressed. And then finally going, Mom, neither of us can drive, so someone has to go to school. Then, not long after Doug's murder, they received more bad news. Ryan had been diagnosed with throat cancer. He's okay now, but he had to undergo intense medical treatment. And the whole situation was obviously frightening and hard, and the timing was awful for everybody, especially to have happened right after Doug was killed and as his mom was struggling emotionally as it was. Well, this is sad to say. My mother kind of broke after that, and then the throat cancer thing. I have a naturally raspy voice. Right after this happened... Literally two months later, I was diagnosed with throat cancer. I had a lot of radiation when I was in high school. So I do have a naturally husky, raspy voice. I don't know if that's good for a radio, but that's just how I sound. 
And in addition to that, Brenda was now stuck with the mortgage for this really expensive house that Doug had bought her. And since Doug hadn't put it on a fixed interest rate, her mortgage payments would skyrocket without warning. And since Brenda's name wasn't officially on the house, she couldn't get a better rate. So the whole situation was just a freaking nightmare. It would be $3,200 a month sometimes. We would lose our lights. Doug tore out the whole kitchen, and then he died, and we couldn't afford to get a new kitchen in for years. And so uh, my mom would was very self-destructive at that point. To make things worse, Doug's mother would eventually sue Brenda multiple times in an effort to take possession of the house, even though Doug had bought the house for Brenda and the boys. I'm not going to bore you with the details of the multiple lawsuits, but let's just say none of it helped with the mounting stress that was Brenda's depression, Ryan's diagnosis, and beyond. Behind the scenes, the police were working Doug's case and trying to identify the two men entering the scene the night of the murder. They'd learned that following Doug's murder, his Amex credit card had actually been used at a nearby Walmart. So they followed the paper trail and digital trail, hoping it would lead to their suspect. They obtained surveillance video from the store and observed a young-looking man making a $14.92 transaction at the self-checkout lane. Hope it was worth it. What what did you get? I know, what'd you get? A past six-pack of beer? Like what, you know, if you're going to do something so stupid with a man who's lost his life's credit card, like you think it would be a... A big More purchase. Purchase. Because it's like, why wouldn't you just use your own credit card for the for that beer? That's so yeah. crazy. It's just wild. So then two days after Doug's murder, the manager at Rent and Roll, and I didn't know what Rent and Roll was, so I had to look it up, which is it's I guess it's a tire company, and it makes sense. It's a tire company that they they rent tires to you. Rent, rent and, and roll. roll. Didn't I thought it was like a bowling league? I, I really mm, didn't know. That'd be nicer. Yeah. So apparently the manager at the rent and roll said that a man identifying himself as Doug, Richard White, called and tried to draft $6,500 from his Amex card. So I don't know what that means exactly. I think maybe get cash out of the card or I'm not sure, but trying to somehow exploit this credit card for that amount of money. This transaction never occurred because rent and roll manager doing the diligence he does was like, hey, you're going to have to come in and sign for this in person. I'm going to need a signature. And of course, the man on the line refused to do that because Doug had been murdered two days earlier. So Doug's not coming in to sign for anything. Whoever was on the phone was obviously somebody connected to or directly involved in Doug's murder. But here is where the criminal messed up. They provided a cell number to accompany the attempted transaction. And that phone number led them to their first suspect. 21-year-old Marine A. Thompson. And at the time of his arrest, Marine had already been on probation for previous breaking and entering crimes that he had committed in the past. And once he was identified, the employees at Doug's business, Razorback Air Filter, later identified Marine as one of the men who had come in asking for Doug and claiming that he owed him money. Once Marine was in custody, he was charged with forgery for his attempts to use Doug's Amex, and he was also charged with the capital murder of Doug White. However, the eyewitness had seen two people enter Doug's business after closing the night he was killed. But apparently, Maureen refused to reveal the identity of that second person. And the second mystery man, as far as the reporting was concerned, was referred to as the accomplice at large, as police continue to try to track him down. All right, so again, more questions. If Doug works in air filters, like what is his connection to Maureen Thompson? 
And did Doug really even owe him money? And if so, for what? While the reporting on the case never addresses a possible motive for Doug's murder, Ryan has some insight that might help us understand why Doug was killed in March of 2007. And that's because by chance, following Doug's murder, Brenda began dating a retired sheriff named Troy, who'd worked in the very county where this case was investigated in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Troy was a really good, stable guy. Ryan really liked him, and he treated Ryan like a son. He was, in many ways, the antithesis to Doug. And one day, Troy took Ryan aside, and he explained the local authorities' suspicions about what had happened to Doug White and why. I was probably 17, and I talked to him about it one night, and he said, you know, Ryan, I don't want to tell your mother, but I've got to. He goes, you know that Doug was under investigation? I said, for what? He said, well, we're pretty sure between the tax evasion and the fraud that he was dealing cocaine between the air filter shipments. I really do believe this because Doug's business grew very quickly. And he always had a lot of cash on hand, which is not indicative of drug dealer. But there were things that didn't add up. When his business started to grow, he was shipping air filters to Louisiana, to Texas, to Mississippi. It didn't make a lot of sense why a body shop in Texas would contract out someone from Arkansas to do that kind of work. It didn't make a lot of sense how he could pay for a Hummer and cash. And while we aren't saying that this is without a doubt what happened, it does seem to jive with some of the details that are available. Like that Ryan's old and new house were also ransacked the night of Doug's murder as if somebody was looking for drugs that were stashed away. Thankfully, Ryan and his mom and brother weren't home when this happened. And even though Ryan's mom, Brenda, never believed that Doug might have been involved in drug dealing, other members of Ryan's family had reasons to believe that this could have been true. So I confronted my mother about it after Doug's death, and she said she never knew anything. My sister's boyfriend worked for him, and so did my aunt's husband. And they both said there were a lot of shitty things happening. Double books, a safe, one book that was for the IRS, and one book that, that weren't. But I can't get any information. I only know what my family has told me and what I've heard from the sources I have. Brenda had a difficult time accepting this version of Doug. And I mean, I get it. It would have been very challenging. It would have meant that Doug had lied to Brenda about a huge part of his life during their entire relationship. So Brenda had a different idea of what happened. She believed that some of Doug's disgruntled ex-employees who knew where Doug stored large amounts of cash had killed and robbed him. Her theory was that he had a lot of money that was stored in a safe, which I know that to be true for my sister, that was hidden in the warehouse. That he also had checks he had not cashed. Her excuse was, well, he was waiting until January 1st for tax reasons, was always what she said. And that these guys used to work for him or he contracted them out in some form or another, and they were looking to get a quick pay. 
Regardless, one year after Doug was killed, Maureen A. Thompson was set to go to trial in July of 2008. The second accomplice had still not been identified, and he was charged with capital murder and aggravated robbery. But July came and went, and no trial ended up occurring. But that seemed okay, because the prosecutors just moved the trial to the first week of November of that year, and they were going to seek life in prison for Maureen's sentence. But then, in October of 2008, and this is a direct quote from an article, the prosecutors reluctantly dropped the capital murder and aggravated burglary charges against Maureen. According to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, that eyewitness that we mentioned, the one who identified Maureen as the guy who had been at Doug's business, well, that eyewitness just mysteriously vanished. And without him, there wasn't enough evidence to bring Maureen to trial and convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. However, what they could prove is that Maureen had committed credit card fraud by using Doug's Amex. So they moved forward with those charges against him. Maureen pled guilty and was sentenced to 34 years in prison for that charge. He was eligible for parole after five and a half years. And based on Arkansas's inmate records, it looks like he's out now. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we don't know exactly why Doug was murdered. The case itself, any possible closure, and Ryan's feelings about Doug all remain in purgatory. According to Ryan, the investigation remains open to this day. And until police finish what they started, we'll never know. And the not knowing is torturous for Ryan and his family. Even if Doug was a jerk, he still deserved justice. He was fucked up in his own way, but sometimes we all are in our own ways. But despite that, Ryan still has some fond memories of him. I've listened to my brother and my sister and my aunt and my uncle, who all love Green Bay, he actually bought them all tickets and sent them to Green Bay before he died. I know why they love him. <clears throat> I hate that word, love, sometimes. But he did love my mother. And I regret him dying. The most awful part is that, like, these are not any people we know. These are people that he had shady dealings with or who knew he had money or whatever. We don't even know. But they just took his life. And no one's ever been convicted for this. It was a horrible, bloody mess that left an entire family in shambles. In 2015, eight years after Doug's death, Brenda was still in emotional turmoil. Things hadn't worked out between her and that really nice retired sheriff named Troy. And she began dating men who were, to put it mildly, not good for her. Her mental health continued to deteriorate, and it broke Rand's heart to watch her spiral downward. My mother and I were very close. My mom went from a strong, self-assured doctor who worked out and who loved everything about her life. And she went to a basket case, and it was so sad. On February 23rd of 2015, 51-year-old Dr. Brenda K. Covington died by suicide. I got phone calls from my sister, and I was like, what do you want, Renee? I mean, I was literally partying, to be honest with you. I was like at a house party drinking, and I was like, well, Renee, quit calling me. And she goes, you need to come home now. And I was like, I am too drunk to drive, but okay. And came home and saw mom in a body bag. I mean, it was horrible. Out of Doug's house, it was the end of an era, but she'd been threatening for years 
Doug dying just broke her. Ryan knew his mother had been suicidal in the past. He explained that on at least one occasion, he tried to wrestle a gun away from her. But Brenda's loss was and is soul-crushing for Ryan, his siblings, and their family. Another travesty in this case is that Doug's killer, someone who is obviously dangerous, is out walking among us. And if Maureen is Doug's killer, almost going to prison for life, if that wasn't a wake-up call, a quick Google search will tell you that he hasn't shied away from crime since. He's been implicated in several others, and that is disturbing and scary that, you know, when crimes go unsolved, yeah, it's terrible for the families of the victims, but society at large is at danger because of it. So the lack of justice here isn't just a travesty for Doug, but anyone who knew him and anyone who may ever cross paths with his killer. Doug obviously wasn't perfect, but Ryan knows that Doug loved him in his own way, and maybe that's what Doug thought love was. I know he did love me. I really do think he thought of me as his kid, but I never liked the way he manifested it. But he always said his father was mean, and he always told me his father was meaner than he was to me. I wanted him to learn to be better. It's frustrating because I did love Doug. I didn't care about him. And it had gotten to a point when I was a teenager and he did so much for me. I mean, the fact that I ever did debate and was able to go on trips and fly to Boston and debate at Harvard was because of him. And I know all that. I was so angry with him when he died that I just was like, I don't care. But as I've grown up and thought, he deserves more than what he's gotten. Doug was the worst and best example of how hurt people hurt people. And even though Ryan's not sure he's forgiven Doug, Ryan believes that Doug did deserve better. He deserved to live. He deserved to have his case solved. He deserved to have his murderer go to trial for more than just using his stolen Amex. Today, Ryan is doing well, and he's looking forward to the future. Ryan's biological father, who Ryan developed a strong relationship with in his adult years, passed away in 2020. Ryan knows that both his father and Brenda would be very proud of who he is. And for him, that's enough. You know, I have my mom's cat. She is, oh God, almost 16 years old. And I have all of her artwork hung up. I've got a gorgeous picture she drew in high school that's been framed. And I've got it. You know, she lives in me. And so does dad. You know, I miss my parents. And they're wonderful people, but you can't just hang on to it. I think my parents are proud of me. I am gardening. I am going to therapy every Monday, so that's good. You know, loss really hurts, but there's only one way you can do it is just to try to get better. When people wrong us, it can be easy to condemn them. It's much, much harder to reflect on their actions, to do the work that the person should have done themselves and try to understand their motivations, to try to comprehend why they are the way that they are. And Ryan has done that work. He's come out of some serious write-a-memoir-like type hardship. And now that he's on the other side, he knows that he will never fully understand why all of these life-changing events happened to him, to his family, and that he'll never know with 100% certainty why Doug, who did love him, also hurt him. But one thing that Ryan might be able to know is who killed Doug and why. 
after Doug's alleged attackers never made it to trial. The police let the case go cold, but that's not fair to Ryan. It's not fair to Brenda. And good guy or not, it's not fair to Doug. Nobody's a monolith. We all exist on a spectrum. And we all have to have compassion for Doug's tragedy. And even if we can't find compassion for people like Doug, the justice system has to. Because like it or not, imperfect people deserve justice. And we hope that someday soon, Ryan's family will receive that justice. If you know something helpful involving Richard Douglas White's case, please contact the Pulaski County Sheriff's Office via their online form at PulaskiSheriff.com. And if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-SAFE or text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. For live chat and other resources, their website is thehotline.org. Huge thank you to Ryan for being our first degree guest for this episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook page. We are talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon for lots of fun bonus content and stick around tomorrow. We'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Andrea Marshbank. Sources for this episode are Ancestry, Find a Grave, Legacy Obituaries, Facebook, Court Documents, Domestic Violence Coordinating Council, The Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and as always, our First Degree guest is always our largest source. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, TruthFinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. TruthFinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.